welcome to The Itch, a podcast miniseries on penicillin allergy brought to you by SIDP. Hi, everyone. It's your favorite host, MC, all-around good guy, Jason Pogue from the Detroit Medical Center, back with episode two of the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacist podcast series on penicillin allergy. I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to episode one before listening to this episode, as parts of the discussion here will build on concepts from that previous episode. I'm joined once again by our three fantastic panelists. Our first panel member is Dr. Julie Justo, who is an assistant professor at the University of South Carolina College of Pharmacy. Our second panelist is Bruce Jones, who's an infectious diseases clinical pharmacy specialist at St. Joseph's Candler Health System in Savannah, Georgia. And last but not least, Mary Staiku, an infectious diseases clinical pharmacy specialist at Rochester General Hospital in New York. The focus of the pod today will be on implementation of penicillin skin testing via different practice models and the challenges and opportunities associated with each of these different models. Just so we're all on the same page as we walk into this, what I mean is that different providers can lead the actual skin testing at an institution. It can be led by pharmacists, nurses, or physicians. Each of our panelists today, we are very fortunate because they have a different model and at their institution. And I would like to start this off by asking each of our panelists to briefly describe the model at their institution. Mary, why don't you lead us off here? Yeah. You know, I feel incredibly grateful and very lucky uh, because we have a, a fairly robust stewardship program at RGH. We have one dedicated stewardship physician and two dedicated stewardship pharmacists. So we've incorporated recommending penicillin skin testing through our daily prospective audit and feedback process. So when we're reviewing patient charts and we feel a patient could benefit from skin testing, we drop a progress note suggesting that they call allergy. When allergy is consulted, and they're actually located off off campus, um, so they send a trained allergy PA to the hospital. She applies the penicillin skin test, and then they hook up via telemedicine to the allergist that's located off-site. And the allergist confirms the skin test results. They discuss the results with the patient, and they answer any questions. And that's primarily how it how it works at RGH. It's a really cool model, and we hope to expand our telemedicine capabilities to other systems in our healthcare system that do not have an allergist on call. Excellent, Mary. So what we're looking at at your institution is stewardships, doing the patient identification, pushing to allergy for the actual intervention. Bruce, how does that differ from what you do? Well, I'm jealous of Mary, for one, because um, we, uh, we, we have none of that. So, uh, you know, I would describe our model as pharmacist-driven nursing performed. And what that basically means is nurses are going to be the one who physically perform the test. They're in charge of the monitoring throughout and after. And then for the pharmacist side, the pharmacist is going to be involved in the patient selection, preparation of the product. They're going to be there at the administration of the test as a second set of eyes. So it's usually going to be myself, one of my trained residents, um, some of the other ones who have been trained on it. And then ultimately, we're the ones who are responsible for the documentation, the patient education, and any changes to the antibiotic regimens. Awesome. Thanks for the information. Julie, I think your model is a little different than that one. Can you share your process with our friends at home? 
Sure. It does have some similarities to both of the models that Mary and Bruce had mentioned. Like Mary, ours is uh, stewardship driven. So a lot of our consults come through prospective audit and feedback. So the stewardship pharmacist will, you know, review the patient and do their normal reconciliation. And if they reach the point that they think the person is likely needing a skin test, then we'll recommend that to the primary team. But because we also have an electronic orderable for penicillin allergy skin testing consult, that can come from uh, kind of any providers in the hospital, either pharmacists, nurses, or, you know, just the primary medical team. And if they have a patient that they think uh, would warrant skin testing. And so we started off pretty small. We didn't kind of Uh, tell anybody about it. And we were just doing it, you know, at first with stewardship driven, but now we've kind of expanded that and we have a system for that. So it's stewardship driven, but expands to the entire hospital. It is pharmacist performed, which is, I think, one of the unique things and something that we at South Carolina are pretty proud of. It took Brandon Bixdaver and our student, uh, Nicole Griffith, um, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get that approved. Um, We can talk about that later, but it's pharmacist performed. We'll go to the bedside, do it from A to Z, takes about an hour. Uh, We'll administer the test, interpret the test, and put in a progress note with all the information we got both before, during, and after, and make some recommendations for um, any changes of antimicrobials as needed. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's very interesting because you all described a very different process at your institution with who's performing the actual test. So as a guy who does not have penicillin skin testing in place at my institution, how do I go about deciding which one of those I should go for? You know, I think I'll jump in here, Jason. So for me, I think the way to look at it is breaking down your resources. And that's kind of what we had to do up front. You know, the first question I think to ask is, do you have an allergist? Allergists are they're going to be the most qualified to do this. However, you know, if you're like us, availability can can limit that. So, you know, if the answer to that question is no, I think the next logical step is to consider a pharmacist. And, you know, that can depend some on state law. So if you look in the state of Georgia, pharmacists can perform this. You know, if you look at the state of South Carolina, I'm sure Julie has a, a great story with that because it is a great story. As to, as to what they can do there. And then I know very, uh, Mary has some very strong feelings about New York that I'm sure she would love to, to share as well. But also you got to look at the, the time commitment side of this. So, you know, I tell you, we had, I, when I came in yesterday morning, I had three consults that had come in overnight. So looking at the time commitment involved in doing this and, and feasibility from that. And then finally, you know, if, if both of those are not an option, what other options exist, whether it's a, a mid-level provider, you know, other others out there and there are others out there examples in the literature. This is Julie. I'm just going to hop in here and say real quick, thank you to Bruce, because he truly is the godfather of this whole pen allergy skin testing. And I think he gave a wonderful breakdown. That's actually the process that we also used at South Carolina, um, looking at, you know, personnel, time, legal issues and such. I think one of the things he was alluding to was the story of how we got the South Carolina Board of Pharmacy to approve pharmacists performing the actual skin tests. So uh, Dr. Brandon Bookstaver, who's one of my colleagues here at the College of Pharmacy, worked on this protocol with um, one of our pharmacy students, Nicole Griffith. Um, I can't say enough about Nicole. She, Nikki has been amazing. She's been working on this project for over three years, and she is actually the only student that's capable of actually doing this from A to Z, of course, under the supervision of a licensed pharmacist like myself. But she was 
part of developing the protocol, presenting it to the Board of Pharmacy, and they wanted to hear all the data behind it, the evidence, the risks, the benefits, history and stories from people around the country that have done this as well successfully. And they, the Board of Pharmacy actually granted approval for a pharmacist perform skin testing service as a one-year pilot at Palmetto Health Richland Hospital. And we had very, like I mentioned, we had very kind of strict inclusion and exclusion criteria to make sure that uh, we weren't overwhelmed and that we could collect the data uh, to report back to the board. Um, I'm happy to state that they both were able to successfully present this follow-up data to the board, and we've since gained approval to continue and now expand our service to even other settings, like our ambulatory clinics, in particular, our orthopedics clinic, which is work that's ongoing this year with a couple of other uh, trainees. So it's pretty interesting what you can do with the history of folks like Bruce that have all of this experience um, and wisdom when it comes to how to approach this. And then you probably will have to customize that to uh, your local area and regulatory and resource considerations. Yeah, guys, I have a completely different experience here in New York. And uh, (laughs) I'm going to give it to you straight, man. Um, It's been very difficult trying to get pharmacist authority in a seemingly progressive state. And we've taken all of the really hard and wonderful work that Bruce and Julie have already put together and we've taken the lessons learned and we're we're working with our local law professor and trying to put together evidence and literature and success stories on on pharmacist-led skin testing and what it can ultimately do for our patients. And that is the, the primary interest at heart. So we're working very hard, tirelessly, trying to start up a pilot in New York, but currently as is Pharmacists do not have the authorization to administer skin tests just yet. Well, that is an interesting story. Mary, we, we all support you. We, we, <laughs> we, you. we believe that you can do this. And I think there's an important message to our audience here. So we've talked a little bit about these different methodologies. We heard what resources to pay attention to in that situation. But you guys bring up two important things. There's no doubt that we probably have a lot of pharmacists on the, paying attention or listening to this podcast right now. And knowing what's able to be done in your state is critical. I'm going to give a plug here for my panelists that I'm talking to here today because they're much too humble to bring this up themselves. But by the end of the year, you should see a publication uh, coming out in the American Journal of Health System Pharmacists that really will walk through a lot of the things we've talked about on this podcast. But one thing I want to highlight right here at this point in time is that it will also walk through where different states are at with regards to the ability for pharmacists to perform this test. But as we learn from Julie, and as we're still hopeful to learn in the future from Mary, this is worth fighting for. And this is something that we can push forward with our state boards to try to get the pharmacist the ability to do this test. So again, that's very interesting. If you think about the whole thing together, we've discussed stewardship-led models. All of our panelists have talked about how really stewardship the primary driver of finding patients who we want to do penicillin skin testing on. However, we've seen very different models about how the test is actually done. We've heard about nursing-driven, we've talked about pharmacist-driven, and allergist-driven. Mary, I'm curious, are there any other models that are out there that people have looked at? Yeah, I'm actually going gonna, gonna to give a shout-out to Emily Hiles' group out of Baltimore. I think they published a model supporting inpatient penicillin skin testing 
that was led by ID fellows. So I think that's pretty innovative. They demonstrated great success with this program and had fairly positive impact on patient care. Sounds awesome. So again, important thing we keep hearing over and over again from all our panel members, let your resources, let the interested parties drive where you go with model selection. I think that that's a great lesson. Again, as someone who doesn't have this at their institution, that certainly helps us as we start to think and we plan and move forward. But but I have a question for you guys. And, and Julie, I'm going to start with you because you are the newest program of our panel, meaning that your institution has been doing skin testing for the least amount of time. So I'm going to hope that things are more fresh in your mind from that standpoint. But, but what I would ask you, and I'm going to give you all a chance to weigh in on this, is you know, if you had anything to do all over again, if you could change one thing about your model, again, think about your audience here to this podcast, really thinking about implementing it at their own institution, what would you do differently? What would that be? Yeah, I think uh, this is Julie. We've been doing skin testing for about a year. We're coming up on the one year anniversary in September. And one of the things that we really worked on, especially in the first six months, was managing and increasing personnel resources. So it was a challenge to figure out who exactly was going to cover the penicillin allergy skin testing schedule. And at first it was a smaller core group of stewardship pharmacists that were trained and capable of doing it. Of course, we always have one stewardship pharmacist who's running the stewardship service at Richland Hospital. But you know, of course, this is not the only initiative that we're doing. So I would probably be at that time a couple of months ago, if I were like Bruce and got three consults in a day, I'd be sweating because I'd still have a ton of other things that I would have on my plate to do as well. One of the ways that we've kind of tried to tackle that is getting a larger pool of folks capable of doing the actual skin testing. And so, for example, this year we've trained all of our incoming residents, PGY1s and PGY2s. They're super excited about it. They can't wait. I have a PGY1 resident who's one of her specific goals for this month on stewardship is to take over the skin testing and and get up and running. And it's been wonderful to utilize our trainees as um, additional personnel. So I know that may not work at every institution, but that's, I think, analogous to what Emily Heil has done with utilizing, you know, the ID Medicine Fellows um, and some other places have done as well. So think about personnel time, create a calendar of coverage so you know who's covering if you got... 60 patients on a census on ID consult, then maybe not picking that pharmacist to actually perform the skin test um, because it's difficult to be in two places at once. So it's just real like nitty gritty details like that, that we would probably put a little bit more time into planning if we could do it over again. Yeah, I I think Julie brings up great points about training, you know, making sure you have a good core group because with us, we ran into issues with, we trained a good core staff, but nurses, they they leave, they retire, things happen. So training is definitely a big issue for for me specifically. I think being able to handle the logistics of just the sheer volume of those skin tests being requested. So, you know, I mentioned about coming into three. Well, you have to be able to decide and have a plan in place as to how you're going to address this and even, even beyond. So, you know, are you just going to do this on day shift? What are you going to do about weekends, holidays, um, especially if you have multiple parties invested in this, making sure that it works out? So one of the things I always recommend, and I, I think Julie kind of touched on this earlier, is making this a consult and not an order. So, 
you know, if it's a consult, what that does more than anything is it gives you the ability to say no. So, you know, as part of a consult, you have that thorough allergy review where you're really interviewing the patient, finding out, are they truly a, uh, a good candidate? We've had patients where, you know, they, they look on paper like a great candidate. You get a consult, you go and talk to them as, hey, you know, a week ago I had amoxicillin. I did fine with it. So there's no reason to skin test that person. So uh, I think that's one side of it. And then also looking at whether or not it's a truly an acute need. We've really tried to move to the point now where we are cherry picking, if you will, the best candidates for inpatient ones who you can really make that change on the spot. You know, we may have great candidates that aren't even here for an infection. And what I always try and do is, you know, can these be deferred to an outpatient setting? And that'll get in from a cost justification standpoint. I think that helps things, but also from a, uh, you know, you really don't want to do it uh, in an acute setting like a hospital if you don't have to, and if it's something you can wait. So thank you both. Those are great insights about trying to deal with the load of patients that you have to deal with. Mary, do you have any tips uh, of, of how maybe we can mitigate or deal with this kind of volume issue or sheer mm. number of patients issue? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Jason. And it's certainly there are certainly um, challenges with those models specific to pharmacist-driven um, skin testing. And I, I certainly have a different angle since the majority of our skin tests are applied by either the allergy PA or the allergist. But I think one idea that comes to mind that could potentially help mitigate this is, and is also the wave of the future, I believe, for stewardship programs, is learning how we can make information technology work for us through the EMR. So we know that allergy documentation is a, a big issue, and this was mentioned in podcast number one, right? So garbage in, garbage out. The majority of people updating these allergy fields are not allergy trained, um, so they don't exactly know how which questions to ask, uh, which are the most useful and pertinent questions to ask pertaining to allergy reactions and histories. And I think the next step for our program, at least, is to create a standardized algorithm in the EMR specific to penicillin allergy to guide clinicians in asking the most appropriate question standardizing that question, those questions, but then also easily and rapidly identifying which patients qualify for penicillin skin testing, which patients qualify for graded or direct challenges, or which patients don't have a penicillin allergy at all. They're just a, a penicillin intolerance that's inappropriately documented as an allergy per se. Thank you. I'd like to thank all of you. That, that was some excellent insight. And, and for our audience who's looking to implement this at their institution, I think the tips that you just gave will be extremely helpful. I'd like to thank each of our panel members one last time in this podcast. Julie Justo from Columbia, South Carolina, Bruce Jones from Savannah, Georgia, and Mary Staiku coming from Rochester, New York. And, and to our audience, I'm sorry, but that about wraps up episode number two of our series. I would just like to, to finish up by saying thank you for listening. I'd like to thank our panel members for being here. But what I want to kind of highlight here is that if you are taking some of these to heart and you're thinking about implementing this at their institution, there are resources out there to help you get started. And I'm going to give you a little bit about that information. But one thing that I want to encourage you is that I know that our panel members would highly recommend, and the reason I know this because I've talked to them about it, 
checking out these materials prior to getting started to have a better idea for everything that the process entails. And really, there are a few different nice references to keep in mind. Some of them are currently available. Some of them will be available in the future. So the first is on the ALK website. ALK is the sponsor of this podcast. They are the company that makes the penicillin skin test. But what you will find on their website is a lot of the work that needs to be done as you move forward. You can find sample protocols, order sets, videos of performing the tests. Again, things that you will need to implement this at your institution. They've done a nice job of giving starting points in that situation. So don't hesitate to use their resources. They are there for a reason and they can be very helpful to you as you move forward. The second thing that I would say is that the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, which is a mouthful, and that's why they go by Quad AI, they, uh, they have a lot of resources that are dedicated to penicillin allergy as well. So if you go to their website, you can find a penicillin allergy toolbox. And if you go into that toolbox, you can find lots of fun stuff. You can find their practice guidelines related to allergy. You can find references to the primary literature that's looking at the impact of penicillin allergy on outcomes or methods for testing these patients. And what you can also find there are some patient education materials. Again, if you think back to podcast one, what did we talk about? That myth busting with the patient. So there's some things to help you along those lines. The other things that I would like to comment on things to look for in the future. As I alluded to earlier, our panel members, as well as the other experts in the field of penicillin skin testing from a pharmacy standpoint, have put together a great publication. It should come out by the end of the year in the American Journal of Health System Pharmacists and really will be a how-to guide that will walk you through a lot of the things that we're talking about in this podcast series. And so one thing I'll encourage you to do is if you follow us on Twitter, that's at SID Farm, that's farm with a PH because we're super cool. But if you follow us, once that does become available, we will certainly be tweeting that out and help get that information to you from that standpoint. And then the last thing that I'll comment on is that this is a little bit further down the road and will be coming next year and is really looking at this in a different way. But there is a group and you'll find a lot of our panel members as part of that group from that standpoint where they are developing a CE-based program that will end up getting you certified as a penicillin skin tester. And so this program, there will be a fee associated with it, but it's a CE program of over 10 hours that will consist of both webinars as well as some hands-on training with regards to penicillin skin testing with the goal by the end of completing that certificate program you will be able to implement and perform skin testing at your institution. So there are resources, and one thing I want to highlight, get to those early before you start the process. Know what you're getting yourself into. And so with that, that's really a wrap. Please join us yet one more time for our final episode of this three-part series. This is probably my favorite episode that I'm looking forward to because it's really where our panel members will give us their expert experience. They're going to give us clinical pearls and stories from the front line to anyone who is considering implementing such a program or even just to have an allergy reconciliation program, things to be thinking of, things, clinical pearls, things they see in practice. Until then, have a great day and we'll see you next time. This podcast series is supported by an unrestricted medical educational grant from ALK the makers of PrePen.